the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. It has been said that the Canadian Football League season doesn't really begin until the Labor Day weekend. We may have seen exactly that this past weekend. Four exciting games from coast to coast. The year of the backup and the third string quarterback continues. Greg Backling, Derek Taylor, the voice of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It's the Blue Bomber podcast. And, you know, before we extol the virtues of Jake Dolagala and everything that's happening in Edmonton and in Calgary, Jake Meyer looking pretty good again, as is Trey Ford. We've got lots to discuss here. But at least in this market, safe to say, the exciting overtime loss from the Blue Bombers overshadowed by the absolutely mm. idiotic actions of Pete Robertson. Just just ridiculous. And there's so many ways to talk about this, but just think about this play. They He makes a play that stops the Bombers on second down. Would have held them to a field goal attempt, or are they going to risk it and go for the, the touchdown? I'm, I'm convinced o- O'Shea would have said we're going for the field goal and take the tie. He then headbutts Zach Kolaris in the face, automatic first down. Well, not automatic first down, but first down and touchdown and put his team in a hole. That was set up to be, it so rarely happens, but one play that loses a team the game, that was going to be the one. And it was, it was seconds after the play was done. There was just no reason or excuse for doing something quite so dumb. As Doug Brown mentioned, I think in the broadcast, but he definitely did with us this morning on the start on Breakfast with the Bombers. He says, you know, football is a violent game. We all get that. You play to the whistle. You play between the white lines. Uh, Once you get out of bounds, sometimes you can be forgiven for, uh, you know, letting down your guard a little bit. And certainly after a whistle. It's not the magnitude of of the shot. First of all, it happened after the whistle. And if there's ever a time in a football game where you relax your guard and you're not braced for contact, it's at the end of a play after the whistle's been blown. And, and with Zach's injury history, you know, going up and headbutting a guy like Zach Kolaris is like walking up to someone with a partially detached retina and poking them in the eye. It's, uh, you know, he's won. The reason he was traded unceremoniously out of Saskatchewan to Toronto is because everyone thought he was, you know, one helmet to helmet hit away from having his career ended. So to have a, a play like that, you know, threaten his health when he's battled for so long to get back on the field and, and be a durable, successful player, a real, it's an unbelievable story, his resurgence to the top of the quarterbacking. And to have a guy after the whistle, um, you know, unprovoked and without warning, uh, headbutt him in, in a place he's been susceptible and vulnerable. It's, it's just unacceptable. And uh, a one-game uh, suspension is the least they could have done. He should have been ejected from that game. I think you, you know enough to, to do that 1,001-1,002 like you, you do when the, when the light turns green at an intersection. But there comes a point in time where you assume the play is over and you don't need to brace yourself for impact. And that was just one of the most egregious parts of that play and that decision by Robertson was to do it so far and so long after the whistle, Derek. 
Well, and, and that's a smart uh, comment, I think, from Doug, because one of the critiques of the play on the it, on the there's a side of it's awful and there's an oh, it wasn't so bad side. There's folks in Saskatchewan critiquing Kolaris for flopping. And I think Doug's point is really good there of he's in no no moment ready for any physical contact there. So when a 240 pound guy butts you in the mouth, like he. He, he's down to the ground. That makes perfect sense. Like that dude hits hard. And you're, if you're not ready for contact, you're, you're going to hit the ground. So in one of the weak and just ridiculous defenses of it, well, Kolaris flopped like an Italian football player. Ah, there's a point where we're just all expected to be going back to the huddle. And I don't know what Robertson was, was trying to do. Like he was pretty jacked up as, as you'd think, right? He made a good play. Look at this. Yeah, I got shot off the field, but I just, he just, his body did not react the way he thought it would, or yeah, he just didn't do that far enough away from Kolaris, or I don't know. I'm trying to think of what it was because afterward he had a pretty, you know, good explanation of, man, I can't believe I did that. That's the wrong time to do it. La la la. I wonder what he, he had hoped was going to happen in that situation because headbutt to the mouth was. Probably not it. Okay, so three things come out of that for me. First of all, lots of people on social media pointing out the fact that not only did Robertson do what he did with his helmet to Kolaris's helmet, but after Zach went down to the ground, his knee also made contact with Kolaris on the ground. I don't know if you've been yep. following that part of it. Does that make it yeah, worse? That- well, that seemed like his knee brushed him as he kind of disregarding Kolaris walked by. I don't think there was anything. If For folks who describe that as kneeing him in the head, I think kneeing, I take kneeing from hockey being an intentional act. And I've seen guys knee guys in the head. That seemed like, I don't care that he's in my way. I'm walking here, right? And and his knee, I don't, uh, something like brushes the back of Kolaris's head, but it, it hits Kolaris in the back of the head. I don't believe that was intent to to hurt anybody. Uh, that's, that's just kind of my feeling on the knee. Where are you at with that one? Yeah. You know what? I, I'm, I'm with you to a, a great extent, uh, kneeing, uh, I want to see some deliberate action there that, that seemed like a guy who was sort of had a little bit of cock in his walk. And so he was uh, sort of strutting, celebrating the play and potentially what he did in the extracurricular activities there. But yeah, I don't know if he actually needed, needed his head, but his knee definitely does make contact with with his head. But I guess as bothersome yeah. as anything else, DT, I listened to your call of the play. We played that. We'll play it for you right now. Four and a half to go. Kolaris play action. He wants it to the end zone. That one tipped at the line of scrimmage and incomplete. Oh. And then he's pushed down late by Micah Johnson. Dobson wants the call. Oliveira is mad at somebody. How is that not a penalty? It's a late hit on Zach Kolaris. After the play's dead, he absolutely gets knocked down on the field by Robertson. And nothing is called. Unless that was a phantom play, Zach Kolaris... I don't know how he ends up on the ground without contact unless he absolutely take it, took a dive. Here comes the late flag right now. There we a go. Play. We have a major foul on necessary roughness. Saskatchewan number 45. We're going to go up half the distance. It's going to be first down for Winnipeg. So you didn't see this, you know, at, at first either. So can we forgive the 
on-field officials for not seeing what Robertson did to Caleros in, in the in the aftermath and 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 post-play? I can't because like I'm I'm trying to look at 24 things and two benches and stuff and there are multiple officials looking at specific parts of the play and one of them is watching the quarterback, right? Like watching the quarterback and what happens to him and he's in the pocket and blah blah blah. I I'm I'm trying to get things down. I've got notes to look at. These the officials, the men and women on the field are are there to to watch the players and take care of the players. It comes so long. Maybe the one thing I could say is it comes so long after the whistle. Who expects something like that to happen? And that official may well have some other duties as assigned. But it, it was shocking to me that it, that it wasn't caught in the moment. And it's still surprising to me that it wasn't caught in the moment because. I feel like, and I don't know how the officials operate, you need to keep your eyes on the quarterback. If we're going to say we protect quarterbacks in this game of football, you need to keep your eyes on the quarterback until we get going again with the next snap and then be watching him again. So, yeah, it's the, that I missed it is, not, to me, not a total surprise. I wish I hadn't, but not a total surprise with all that's going on. Oh, is the is the kick team coming on now? What's happening here? Oh, Kalaris is on the ground, and people are trying to rumble. And we saw a fair amount of that, right? We had at least in two circumstances where there were offsetting unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. So uh, you wonder if if the officials uh, maybe lost control of the game somewhat at at other points in it. So that aside, how surprised are you in retrospect, or maybe at the time that that Robertson was allowed to stay in the game. I, I mean, I don't know what su- section of the rule book I would cite to justify kicking Robertson out of the game, but it, it looks like something that, that shouldn't be tolerated and the, the guy should have to go and take an early shower for. Yeah, you'd say something about dangerous and intent to injure and you'd give them a 25-yard penalty and you would throw him out of the game, which is, I think, what a, a good number of Bomber fans wanted in that situation. Ultimately, the, the, the yards have zero impact, right? It ended up being first and goal at the one, and there were, it was a two-yard penalty or whatever. It was a one-and-a-half-yard penalty was ultimately it. But, you, I mean, the officials, this one, I, I don't know. I haven't seen back yet and seen when the flag came in and where the flag came in. It felt super late, but... Was that an official having a problem getting it out of out of their pocket, or did the call come in from Toronto to say, "Hey, by the way, that's a that's an awful penalty"? It it could have been an objectable one, but it just I yeah I don't know what I would what I would say. It's it's I always go back to uh, the standard that soccer soccer would use, and people uh, have fun with me for for soccer, but soccer talks about things that are careless that are reckless and that are dangerous and that's how they enforce certain infractions was it careless was it reckless or was it dangerous and and i i kind of bounce between i could see points of this wasn't careless on pete robertson's fault this the the knee might the kneeing thing might have been careless on his on his uh on his part this was somewhere between reckless and dangerous and i think it's probably more reckless than anything else so I I wasn't I wasn't sure. Doug was saying this this guy needs to be suspended. I was caught between is this max fine or is this is this a suspendable one and is it suspendable to prove a point or is it suspendable because it deserves to be on its face? I didn't know where 
where I would ultimately go in that. I, w- I was uh, I was open to be swayed on that, and I think the way the CFL finally does rule, I'm like, okay, I can see I can see that, and I can appreciate the, that decision. I'm surprised to hear you say that uh, you weren't certain whether whether the CFL would take the action that they did. Just because you couldn't justify well, it in your Polaris own mind, right? Oh, oh, not at all. In fact, I think I think Zach probably more surprised that he won't be facing Robertson next week. Who also, by the way, leads the the Rough Riders in sacks. So uh, the whole idea that this is overshadowed what was definitely a, a terrific game, the first overtime Labor Day Classic between these two teams in the in the storied history of this game really overshadowed uh, Jake Dolagato. How am I saying his name? <laughs> Jake Dolagala. Dolagala. Yeah, there, there, there's Jake. the pi- he's the, he's, Jake. Well, it's a good pineapple, right? Dole Gala. Apple, pineapple, go. apple pen, pineapple. You know where I'm going from. Dola Gala at 326 yards passing. He was a little quiet in the third quarter, but for the most part, went in and did a job for Sasky. Yeah, and it was surprising based on some of the early stuff, right? He he overshot some balls. Trying, you know, they they try to stretch out the Bombers' defense, and he threw it five yards over this guy and nine yards past this guy and well out of bounds to this cat. No, there's an out route to Jareth Stearns and he sails it to the moon. You go, oh, this is not great. But man, I kind of expected more. I expected that to continue kind of throughout the game was my impression because Dola Gala had 54, whatever it was, pass attempts this season. Not a lot of film to watch, but they they kept with those out routes and he put them relatively on target. They eventually ding, ding one over the middle. And you're like, okay, well, that was a good ball too. And it, he improved as the game went along. I have no idea what that says for him long term, but as that particular game went along, he found he had some time in the pocket on, on a lot of plays, and he got a little better and got a little more accurate. I assume the plays they called were, you know, a little, maybe a little safer and a little more of what he needed in that moment, maybe more to his skill set. And then when he, and then by the time the Bombers were able to generate some pressure, they did get him to the ground, I think, three times, but. Dola Gala could maneuver the pocket a little bit and slide and step up. And he went, this was a really nice performance from the from a quarterback that I kind of went in not knowing much about other than Saskatchewan had decided for a couple of years, this guy is our third best quarterback. And, and for him to have that performance and to be totally unfazed in overtime, like he, they, that offense just walked down the field in overtime, touchdown, two-point convert, good luck, Winnipeg. That was... That was a really impressive performance from Dola Gala. It's not, it's not the Rocky Butler category of, <laughs> of I, I hope not, because man, you should see Doug cringe when Rocky Butler gets brought up in the pregame show. But it was that was a solid performance from a young QB. So do you have concerns? I know I have a little bit of concern with regard to you know uh, the Blue Bombers uh, trying to jump. The ball and and trying to you know Demario Houston, uh, God bless him. Oh, you know that's a 65, 66 yard pickup that that really you know Demario's a very good open field tackler. <laughs> Let that guy catch the ball and and take him down. Yeah, that was we were talking about second down from their own four yard line was Saskatchewan, and if that ball gets knocked down or it's not a first down, they're punting from a trouble spot, right? 
and I'd have to check, but I don't think the depth of that throw was going to be an automatically a first down. It, I, I can be mistaken on that, but in the moment when I when he undercut that and he went, there is nobody within yards of this guy, and he is going to roll a long way. I just I went back to one of the critiques I have of Riders cornerback Nick Marshall of your risk reward meter needs to be needs to be on point when you're a professional football player. Um, if you knock that ball, if you knock that ball, if you pick that ball off, okay, you have this much chance of picking the ball off and it, and it would be great. But if I miss and I have this much chance of missing it, it's going to be a huge play the other way because I know what coverage is behind me and what routes are coming behind me. And that was, oh, that was such a big play. And it just, it hurts to see from a guy who's having a, a great season that he got stung like that. And it, my my sort of hypothesis during the game was he had a play earlier on where he jumped uh, he jumped like a little hook route and Dolagala fired it into the dirt uh, and Demario Houston gave what I thought was the I was this close to picking that off motion in Dolagala's direction this it may not have actually happened but that's what that's my interpretation of the body language in that moment was I was this close to getting it and if there was a little, if he was a little bit too much to, oh, I'm going to take one away from this cat, and it cost them 64 yards in a spot where, oh man, they would have been set up beautifully had that just been incomplete, or knocked down, or tackled short of the sticks. Oh, that's such a big play, and yeah. and part of what makes playing defensive back so tough. I want to make a big play, um, I want to make a play oh, crap, I didn't make the play, and now we are getting punished for it. Yeah, it's uh, often the case of making sure that you make the correct play because uh, obviously a stop there, and I think you're right. I, I would have to look at the film, but I, I'm pretty sure that if uh, if that pass is completed and uh, Demario makes that tackle right there, I think that's a third down situation uh, for Saskatchewan. So I don't know what the magic number for you is, DT. I've always sort of played with the idea that a football game plays on, or rather turns on six plays. That was okay. one of them. Yep. That was one of them. Yes. Jamal Parker and his decision twice to let the ball bounce around near the Blue Bomber goal line and ultimately surrender the Rouge in both situations. Is that a coaching situation? Is that an inexperience? Or did Parker ultimately do exactly what he's been told and taught and coached to do? Yeah, it, it on both times it, it felt like this is what he was taught and coached to do because he stood and it went over his head. Right, I if I'm remembering them correctly. Yep, both like, times stood it, on, they like, were the, almost carbon copies yeah. of one another. Yeah, and so they're in the end zone, and then okay, um, what do, what do we do with this now? Okay, well we can see the point, and now we're down three points, and then you what was it? You could see one in there within three points. It's it, it felt like both were what they were hoping would happen. Uh, we'll find out more from the coach uh, tonight on the coaches show, but it's. It, it didn't seem out of out of out of line, and we didn't note any reaction to it that made us think, okay, that's a the coach hates that. Um, but again, there's a ton going on for us to try to watch. It's, uh, I mean, it, it didn't didn't end up it didn't end up resulting real well. But I'm I'm not convinced either one is incorrect. I don't know what what was your feeling watching the two of them. Well, the first one I, I was bothered by simply because it felt as though Parker had misjudged the ball. 
And mm. then and then the ball is bouncing. It's like, oh God, that ball is going to stay in the field of play. Was my initial response to the first one. And then when the second one happened, it's like, okay, I get the sense that this is how he's been told to play this, and that perhaps they're comfortable in giving up the point for field position, which is, and we have yet to have this negotiation argument discussion about the Rouge and its prevalence in the CFL. But for me, that's the prime example of why that play is so important and such a valuable part of the CFL is because teams have to make that decision between field position and surrendering a point. And so, yeah. you know, hats off to Saskatchewan for uh, punting the ball uh, perfectly in that situation, gave the cover team an opportunity to get down and surround. And really, by the time uh, Parker gets his hands on the ball both times, he has no choice. You know, whether the, well, he was supposed to have a choice or not, he really doesn't. Yeah, oh, for sure. The first one, uh, the first one, There's, I, I can't imagine they were trying to get the single on the first one. And they end up taking the no yards penalty, which leads to another decision. Yeah, that what the heck? People are not. Okay, help me not out with that because I got. I, I'm like, oh, it, never mind. That there's no yards. So, the, in order for the penalty to stand, what the, the bombers have to take the penalty and give Saskatchewan another opportunity to punt. Walk me through that. No, so it's no yards. Uh, Parker picks it up. Guys within the five yard halo. It's a no yards penalty. To my reading of the rules. That penalty, if you choose to accept it, is enforced from the 10-yard line because the foul happened in the in in goal. It's enforced from the 10-yard line. So uh, my inter- my understanding is you can have the ball, no point allowed, first and 10 at your own 25, or you give them the point and you get the ball at the 40-yard line. Mm. You give them the point, they're now they now have a three-point lead. That's an it, expensive it would be 20 to 17 yards. Well, it, it's but. Mike O'Shea does enjoy field position and he's made decisions like that before this because he'll also feel like, yeah, we can pick up a point somewhere else in this game hmm. is, is one he'll use in certain situations. When we talk about going for two point converts, uh, they're, they're up one and they go for a one point convert. His, his response has been, well, we can in this game, especially if there's a game with wind in this game, we can find another point. And they go, okay, well, I, I get that. So I, I think uh, Osh really believes in field position. So in that one, as I understand it, he's exchanging 15 yards of field position but giving up a point. And I I get that. That's probably That probably computes. That's probably the value of 15 yards is probably uh, one point. Know. And with, I mean, there's still a whack of time left at the, the time of the first decision. And then what do they do with that field position? They walk down, jam it in the end zone, and they then take a four-point lead. And you yeah. go, well, four points is pretty safe. Uh, <laughs> until yes. Corset. Go ahead, go ahead, G-Mac. No, no, I was going to say, yeah, you're right. The okay. four, four points should be, should be safe. One of my boys said, you know, Dad, it's actually probably better that it was a three-point game because the way Saskatchewan was moving the ball, they were likely, you know, if they needed the touchdown, my, my boy, who is pretty good at figuring these things mm-hmm. out, he says, and they're probably getting that touchdown. So the game might not even be going to overtime if Saskatchewan's in that four-point deficit situation. I mean, that's all conjecture. But I, I, I tend to agree with them based on how things were going down the stretch. Yeah, and then the second one, the second one, I, I do need to see it uh, again because Saskatchewan now down, uh, but, 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 were they actually, 
Oh, they were down. Saskatchewan's down 24-20. Right. And uh, God bless the uh, CFL for not really having times on the on the play-by-play of this one. 2.52 left in the game. Punting from midfield. Uh, Corsak hammers it in the end zone. And that one I could be- absolutely believe you're hammering that ball to try to get the single point, which makes me think, hey, the, the Riders maybe shouldn't give that one up. But they do give it up. They get the ball at the 40. And then, I mean... In that one, I would I would wager that uh, that Osh trusts his defense, right? Because hey, we get the ball, we've run out the clock in this situation, so we feel like, and our offense has moved it pretty well uh, the previous time, so I, I think we're probably okay here. They end up going two and out because Nick Marshall does a great job to break up a pass to Kenny Lawler. They punt it, and then somehow, like Jake Dolagala, again, like we talked about before, rookie quarterback starts a drive at his own forty. Bing, bing, rush, bing, 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 field goal attempt. You know, oh, boy, with with uh, very little time left in the game. I, I think there's a real trusting your defense aspect to why you're you're not trusting your offense and trusting your defense with why you give up that second one. Because okay. who who doesn't want to be up three with three minutes to go? Did, uh, you know, did I, I didn't send you directions on how to get here, but uh, it's like you did. So we're going to just leave the barn door open then and not talk about how brutal the Blue Bomber coverage teams were on Sunday. I mean, we talked about DeMario Houston. How about Mario Alford? He just, Every time he touched the ball, he was an absolute threat to make the Blue Bombers pay for poor coverage and poor coverage decisions. And that was 20 yards he got on that return, that last Blue Bomber punt. He fielded at the 20, and then all of a sudden Saskatchewan's at their own 40 to start that that drive that they needed for the tying field goal. Coverage teams again, the Achilles heel, in my mind, it swung field position several times on Sunday. Well, and to be fair, that was Alford's only really good punt return of the game. He had some nice kick returns. Okay, right? fair, fair enough. Averaging, he, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. He averaged almost forty yards on kick returns, which is great. But just as I do the math, before that return, which was a twenty-three yarder, and you're right, like that was a that was a tremendous return and and kind of swung the tide back. He was five for fifty-nine, which is not quite twelve yards, which is below the league. Fair enough, uh, below the the average of the best ones in the league. And his punt returns weren't amazing, so you probably feel pretty. You probably feel okay with that. It's yeah, but you're. I mean, you're right in that returns against the Bombers have been a real problem for them all season long. And O'Shea's explained, hey, we've changed something that we've done for six or seven years. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll add in, like, this is a new punter with a th- totally new style to anybody we've kind of seen punt for the Bombers before. So it's it's it really has been a, a big problem for them this year. I haven't seen the updated numbers, but we talked about it in the pregame show and the postgame show. Like The Bombers are eighth in, uh, in punt returns against, and they were sixth in opposing field position off of kickoffs, which those are both cover teams, and that's that's not where you expect a, a Blue Bombers team with Mike O'Shea as the head coach to be by any stretch. So, yeah, it's that should probably factor in there as well. As well as you are doing in this one moment, you know, as well as you've done in the first five kicks, ultimately we've done significantly worse throughout the season. So maybe 
maybe punting is is less appealing in that spot and maybe that goes back to the original decision about the uh the single point there's there's so many things that have to factor into that but man it, it's hard watching these returns hey it is. It, it, it's gut-wrenching because you are, you know, Mike Miller, obviously the GOAT on special teams tackles, uh, injured all season, hasn't played. So that's obviously uh, got to be a factor in my mind to some of these things. And then Jamison Sheehan, uh, you mentioned the fact that, that he kicks the ball a little bit differently uh, effectively, but is that a factor in terms of the coverage? I, I guess you have to suspect that it is part of the discussion. Let's now jump to the overtime. Not that we couldn't continue to talk about special teams, uh, but let's talk, bring, go to bring the, it to me. Bring it to me, G Mac, because I called it in the moment. I called exactly what was going to happen, and then uh, the coin flip went exactly the way I thought it would. Well, yeah, I, I think uh, the idea that the the bombers uh, were going to uh, to call tails with the Rough Rider logo on it. That wasn't going to happen. So the bombers do what nope. they do, right? So they win the win the toss, correct? And so they, they won the toss and they chose to go second. They chose to go second with the ball, entrusting the defense, Saskatchewan. We know what they did. They get the touchdown and they're forced to go for two. I have to see it again, but I saw it three times on Sunday. I don't think that two point conversion should have counted. I think that ball was trapped. Oh, it, it, I. There were so many decisions that I haven't seen this one back. I wonder if I can cue it up while we're while we're talking. I th- I thought in the moment that it that it was a catch, and then all all scoring plays are reviewed, right? So the CFL must be saying, "Hey, w- we thought it was a catch at the time, and upon review, it was it was a catch." I, I can so. I can definitely see how you get there, though. Yeah. So uh, in terms of in terms of what the Bombers allowed Saskatchewan to do, or what Saskatchewan was able to do in scoring that touchdown. I mean, the blue bombers score on one play. Fantastic. But what about the blue bombers, uh, kind of getting shredded by, uh, Dola Gala again. Yeah. <laughs> that, that overtime drive was incredibly impressive. And, and for, uh, for us, incredibly heartbreaking because I, I just didn't think Saskatchewan had it in them. They had, they didn't have half their offense, right? They had zero run game in this game. And yet they were still able to, that overtime, the bing, 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 boom, and they're in. Oh, two-point convert. Like, two-point convert should be a stressful situation for a, a young QB. Boop, no problem, and you're down eight, and I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> I couldn't. I was I was a little dumbfounded and then quite nervous because teams that score touchdowns when they go first in overtime win an overwhelming right. amount of the time, 80% of the time. So, yeah, it's uh, it's another one of those where, yeah, it was just more of that Saskatchewan offense, uh, and it was it was hard to it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch it work the Bombers' defense in spots so so well, especially toward the end of the game, especially um, because there were a lot of field goals in the mid part of the game. But at the end of the game, Saskatchewan was able to get what they needed and wanted. Dalton Schoen, uh, I know he's got some good numbers, but a couple very catchable passes slipping through his fingertips. On Sunday, yep. I, I you know I don't know if that's a concern or not. I, it, you know, it bothered me because he's such a reliable receiver. The Bombers sort of forcing the ball 
to Kenny Lawler a little bit. I think that was the cause of the one interception that uh, Calaris had was really trying to force that ball. But how can you argue with the play in overtime as Zach just steps back and, and launches it right into Kennyville? Bombers first and 10 from the 35. Again, they need eight points. Three-man rush. Calaris pumps. Calaris throwing it up deep. Open for the touchdown. Kenny Lawler got in behind Jeremy Clark. There's the touchdown. And now they need the two-point convert to tie and force a second overtime. Yeah, and that was one, uh, the one in regulation. The interception felt like the one from the week before of, oh, there's there's bracket coverage. Like, there's a second guy there. And, okay. Uh, in overtime, it was, he's one-on-one with Jeremy Clark if he... He's even, he's leaving, and bam, it was just a perfect pass. Dropped right in the bucket and uh, touchdown bombers. One play response. Oh my gosh, how exciting was that one? That was that was incredible. Yeah, well, so 32-30, the final. There are so many places we could take this discussion, but, you know, let's let people have some time today to digest all this as we look ahead to Saturday and Brett McGarry, we were texting back and forth uh, yesterday and during the game on, uh, pardon me, we were texting back and forth yesterday on the holiday Monday when the CFL announced that, uh, that Robertson was indeed going to be suspended for that one game. And, and he said, well, do you think that's out of uh, concern for his safety that the Blue Bombers might go out there and seek retribution? <laughs> you know, in hockey, I would 100% say, yeah, that might be part of it is keeping the guy safe. But that doesn't seem to be a thing in football unless I'm very naive. No, and, and I'm, I'm with you and, and not Blue Bomber football, right? One, of, There was one of the critiques, as, as we talked about, there was just a range of opinions about the about the hit and what happened. Uh, but one of the critiques was, well, why didn't a bomber go after him? When you watch it, Chris Kolonkowski is mad. He is irate. But Brady Oliveira steps in and says, "What do you? No, no, we can't do this now because you know if we do this, we're, you know, Brady. You, you can you can envision what Brady is trying to emote, whatever he's saying. But if if you take this penalty, uh, we're moving 15 yards back or whatever, and and uh, or they're doing the play again or some nonsense. You can't be giving up 15 yards here. We can't. We just can't do it. So you, everybody relax. And that's that's how it should be, right? Like, be mad." But what's what's the benefit of if someone goes and socks Pete Robertson in the mouth? What's the benefit of that? Well, I stood up for my teammates. Yeah, but you cost mm, your team, right? Right, and we were, we're you're trying to win a football game, so you can find another way to uh, to ch- you know someone can chip Pete Robertson and really drive him one in the ribs, or you can do something legal to do it. I the the critique that well, why didn't anybody attack Pete? Ro- you know, attack in quotation marks Pete Robertson. Well, because it's smarter to not. Well, and the, the goal is to win the game, that's right. not to get revenge. Yeah, the number one way to get back at a guy for doing a, a you know, a, an a hole move like that is to beat him. You know, you want to, yeah, that's fine. We'll just go out and we'll win the game. And I know that seems and feels a little passive to some folks, but that's really the way the game's been played more often than it's not. Well, because yeah, I mean, football. Everybody. This is this is one of the things I said during the the broadcast. Everybody's tough playing football. Like what it would take to get on. I feel like a lot of us feel like, oh, you know, I could go and play some football. 
But can you play the next week? And can you play the next week? If I if I go out there and play football with the boys at the park, like I'm out for three weeks because my body's so <laughs> wrecked afterward, right? Sure. But can you play the next week and the next week? And can you do what it takes? Do you have the mental toughness and the physical toughness to to do what it takes to play week after week? Everybody who plays football is incredibly tough. You don't have to, you don't, you don't got to prove it. I don't got to prove it by shoving somebody or, or doing something illegal or getting in their face or chat or yelping at them. If that's not your style, it, it, I don't think there's any benefit to look how strong I am on the field. It just doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it's the way, it's the way, you know, we glorified football when, when you and I were growing up, oh, look at this. Yeah. They're fighting. Oh, he's swinging a helmet at him. That's great. No, that stuff's kind of gross now. Sure. Like Duke Williams is super tough last year in in pregame when he's throwing helmets at Shaq Richardson. That's tough. No, what are we talking about? Like guys hitting guys hitting quarterbacks in the head. They're tough. Like, do we think Simone Lawrence is extra tough because he's he took out both Zach Kalaris and Cody Fajardo in his career? Are we, is this what we're doing? No, it's just it's insane. Everybody is super tough playing football. There's no need to show who's tougher than this guy. Or uh, who's crazier than this guy? Oh, because crazy isn't what wins football games. It's 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 being smart and figuring out how to score more points and allow fewer points than your opponent. All right, two slow starts from Zach Caleros on consecutive weeks. Yeah, the Bombers win 47-17 against Montreal. Did I get that yeah. right? Is that the right score? Yes, yeah. 47-3 without the interceptions. Yeah. Right, exactly. And then with what? Three minutes left in the first half on Sunday. Zach had one completion for five yards. Almost went an entire half without really any passing yards. That that first drive for a touchdown really stay, saved Zach's day. His statistics, and maybe we're talking, maybe we're having a little bit of a different conversation today. Maybe the headline is, what the heck is wrong with Zach Caleras? And it it wouldn't be wrong, and it's it's one of the things that gets glossed over because of you know Pete Robertson doing what he did. But yeah, like it was, what leads to the slow starts? I I have no idea, but I can tell you, like there was one point where he was one for five, and the only completion was that little flip, which is essentially a run play to Nick Dembski, where he drops back and he flips it a yard ahead of himself, and Dembski picks it up as he's going by, and boom. Um, it's, it was shocking and, you know, you hate to, you know, deny Saskatchewan any credit for that and they, they absolutely deserve it. But this offense is much too powerful to be held down like that. Brady was crushing it on the ground already and they were unable to get anything in the air. Shown had a drop that just went, oh man, there was none of that last year. And that's at least three or four this year where, where he should have. It could have made a big play, and it bounces off his hands. And there was uh, the, there was no Kenny Lawler quite yet. That whatever was happening with with Kenny, like whatever the coverage was with Kenny, is what I mean in that spot. And man, Wally was the guy to score the first touchdown. Right. Walatarski. Yep. Okay. Walatarski on Marshall was the first touchdown of the game. Unexpected. So, yeah, it's it's a puzzler. Um, it's, it's puzzling with, with this much firepower and the ability to protect Kolaros. And oh, by the way, the ability to run the ball better than any team in the CFL. How, how, how are there single digits at halftime? How is every, every half, not at least 14 points. 
they playing possum a little bit here, DT? I, you know, there's, there's, the, there is the concept of not showing too much. Uh, you know, the TSN broadcast on Monday were, were surprised. I, I think it was Dwayne Ford more so uh, than Rod Smith surprised by the fact that AJ Willette gears up and rears back and throws a touchdown pass. Uh, you know, when when the Argos are already ahead, I think by ten points at that point in time. Why do you want to show that then? And then we we saw we saw a similar play in the Calgary Edmonton game. But you know, are the Blue Bombers not going in as deep in the playbook just based on the time of the season, or or are like are they just having a hard time? Getting the ball to everybody. Is there an idea that, well, we got to get enough balls in the hands of, of Lawler and we got to get the ball to Schoen enough? And and are they concerned about who's getting the ball too much versus just hitting the open guy? I don't know. I'm theorizing here. Yeah, I don't think they're concerned uh, about who's getting enough touches because, I mean, uh, it, there's been a couple games where Rashid Bailey had, I think in Kenny Lawler's first game back, Bailey had no touches. Are no catches, and in this one, Bailey had one for minus one. Um, Wally had only one. Boop, 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 boop. Uh, so every starting, uh, every one of the five starting receivers had none. There was there wasn't any Greg McRae in this game apart from one backfield carry for two yards. But you still see, I mean, you still see the diverse attack that that Buck Pierce has. Of we'll throw it to everybody, we'll throw it short deep, we'll screen it out to the running back, and we'll run with many guys. Will run with two backs. There was no Nick Dembski running out of the backfield, but that's always in his pocket. There was no uh, Rashid Bailey on a jet sweep, but there's uh, actually there might have been that might maybe that was his one carrot one reception for one yard. Uh, but there's Buck and the offense are are incredibly diverse in my mind, and you kind of you have these options to take whatever is available in that spot. Oh, you're going to do this? Well, we're going to take this because we can, and we've done it before, and we are really good at it because we've been doing it for years. So I, yeah, I I just, I don't think Kolaris was under an excessive amount of pressure versus other games. It wasn't, you know, we're going to rush five and six and seven and kill you. Um, so yeah, I, I did, I kind of, I can't figure out why the offense couldn't go, but it was just very apparent that not as bad as BC in week three, but it, the offense was just not able to get going early in this one. Maybe, maybe like Edmonton in in the home game against Edmonton, where it was six six at halftime. Maybe it was that. I just some weeks are weird, man. There's no that's question. kind of the, that's the extent of what I can come up with. Is some weeks are weird. Uh, you sound like my my father in law. He he just says uh, I know what it is. It's one of those things. And it's like, okay, Dad, thanks, hey. thanks for the insight. I, <laughs> so at I five and five, <laughs> I, I hope they know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Uh, and, and I suspect that, that that they have some theories, but uh, I'd like to see some proof of of maybe a, a change in in attack and tactics. Last week we acknowledged that Labor Day doesn't matter. The record of either team, uh, Saskatchewan at home, we know what they've managed to do over the years, and so they managed to do it this year. I asked you about 5-5, five and five, is you know, Saskatchewan a threat now to, to maybe get involved in the conversation for a home playoff game? Um, I'll sort of ask you that, but now they're 6-5, and five. Winnipeg's 9-3, and three. you've got BC in between at 8-4. and four. Saskatchewan has that game in hand on all teams in the West. I don't like the idea of a must-win situation for the Blue Bombers, 
But I got to say, you know, for them to lose on Saturday and a win on Saturday, both are going to be a statement of a different sort in my mind. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, when you think of it long-term, they they have to – they could lose this game, and then if they match BC the rest of the way and win the game in BC on October 6th, the Bombers get first place. So they still have the, – the advantage they had is gone, having lost that game to Sask and with BC winning. But So it's not – it's not a hundred percent end of the season. It's not end of the season that they lose uh, the banjo bowl. Uh, the chance they lose the banjo bowl, they're going to be a massive favorite in that game. I haven't seen any opening lines yet, but they're going to be a massive favorite in that game. But w- wouldn't you just be? It would be an absolute shock if they don't come out so much better on Saturday than they did this past Sunday, just because um, back at home. They saw it, okay, this 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 is how it was different from the game we played Saskatchewan in week number two. Let's go get some. Um, and, you know, every guy in that room probably can't believe the results of that game and, and maybe is okay with the whole Pete Robertson thing taking focus off the results of that game because, oof, man, that was – it's we're a couple days later and I'm still scratching my head at, uh, really, Saskatchewan won in overtime? Okay. All right, I just All right. Get it, man. So you're not you're not ready to give Saskatchewan the props that six victories in in eleven games should well, should maybe get you two wins in a row still, against the two top yeah. teams in the West as well, Derek Taylor. But then you still, I mean, okay, you cleaned the vomit off your shoes, but didn't you still throw up on yourself? Like they've lost some bad games, and they're six and five, but they're still <laughs> minus sixty point differential for the season. And yes, these are two great wins. There's still two wins back of BC with a game still to go against the Lions. That series has been split so far. Uh, they they got a long way to go to host a, a playoff game. But uh, this uh, it's still a SAS team that beat Edmonton by one point because oh, by 12-11. The 12-11 game where Trevor Harris had to heroically carry 11 other guys down the field late in that one. Um, they didn't... Sc- I was talking to one of my buddies in advance of it, and well, what, is Saskatchewan going to be able to score against the Bombers? I mean, you think, well, they put 34 up last week, but then it was 12, 26 against a bad Ottawa team, 13 against Toronto, nine in a game against the Lions. Like, this is a team that hasn't been good for some time, and maybe Dolegale is is a changing, you know, a factor that changes a bunch in this one. And going forward, they are in fact set until Trevor Harris returns at quarterback. Our guest Daryl Davis of the uh, Leader Post in Regina in the pregame show said, "Yeah, it's it's got to be Dola Gala." I, he said, "I'll riot if it's not Dola Gala until Harris is ready to go." Maybe they are, but they're they're in they're in quite a substantial hole, and the rest of their results haven't really haven't held up to what the last two weeks have been. And the last two weeks have been awesome. If you beat Winnipeg and BC in back to back weeks, that's those are awesome results for any team from. Edmonton all the way up to Toronto. Uh, so props to Sass for that and plus 500, but still they've, they've had some, they lost to Montreal by 29. Two the team, weeks, the Bombers should have beat by 50. Two weeks in an NHL season is six or seven games. If you go undefeated yep. in six or seven games, 
I don't really think it necessarily matters what you did early on in the season. I think you're turning heads at that point. And I, you know me well enough to know I'm not okay. ever bending over backwards to give credit to anything that happens in Saskatchewan, whether I'd like approve of it or not. This, this, is, this is uncomfortable for me to say, but I, I think they're a way better team than people have been giving them credit for. And I think, you know, I said it heading into the 2021 Grey Cup. You ignore Darvin Adams at your peril. And, well, we all know who scored the game-winning touchdown in the Grey Cup in 2021 in Hamilton. I think this Jake Dolagala, I can't pronounce his name to save my life, but I think he's pretty good. Pineapple and apple? Is that what you're going with? Pineapple and apple? Pineapple, apple. I think he's pretty good. And I don't, I, you know, I don't know where they've been hiding. I don't know how you hide a six foot seven guy, but, uh, you know, let's just see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, but I'm also very impressed by how this young man has, has managed uh, these last two games. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, before we get out, can we have the overtime conversation for one quick second? Go. So in, in the, in the uh, lead up to overtime, I was explaining the overtime rules and I said the team, I mean, teams that go first in overtime win an overwhelming amount of time, yet teams that win the coin flip choose to go second almost every single time. And I was explaining this, and then the coin flip happens, the Bombers win the coin flip, they go. They choose to go second, Saskatchewan goes in and jams it right down their throat and scores a touchdown, and Doug Brown looks at me like, yeah, that's just what you said. I'm like, it, it really is. So I, I never, because there was so much to talk about, I didn't throw it out in the postgame show. But teams that win the coin flip, I've been able to go back, dig back in the record books and find out on 32 occasions who call, who won the coin toss and what they chose in overtime. Okay. 32 times uh, coin flips were won. Only once did a team choose to go first. Come on. And I don't have any I don't have any idea why the Toronto Argos chose to go first in 2017, but they did. The other 31 times the team chose to go second. And we heard it in the post-game show. Uh, Coach O'Shea said, I like to have the extra down. You get an extra down when you go second, meaning we'll go on third down because we know what we have to do. So teams almost exclusively choose to go second. With Saskatchewan going first and winning this one, uh, teams that go first in overtime now win 62% of the time. And yet 99% of the time teams choose to go, well, 98% of the time teams choose to go second, but teams that go first win. Either, either by their, on their own volition and saying, yeah, we'll do that. But (laughs) teams don't, don't do that. So, which means those teams that ultimately do win do so by default as it pertains to the coin toss. Am I getting that right? Because uh, well, no, some I mean, yeah, yeah, essentially yes, you're right. Yeah, by by default because the other team chose to go second. So yeah, they It's not it's, because it's, they're the choosing stats, to take the ball first, it's because the other team has said, "Here you go, have the ball first. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and you see why in that game, right? As as a Bomber fan, how uncomfortable did you feel knowing the Bombers needed eight points to just continue the game? Not is, win it, but just continue it. Is this all Matt Hasselbeck's fault? Does this go back? To, <laughs> we're going to take the ball and we're going to score? We're going to take yeah. the ball and we're going to score. And did coaches just take a look around? Yeah, we're going to avoid that altogether henceforth. If we win the coin yeah. toss, we're just going to play defense first. So shall we blame Matt Hasselbeck for this? 
Yeah, the NFL with its different rules where not everybody got a touch, right? Everybody gets a touch in the CFL. But, uh, I mean, uh, in the first overtime game, Zach Kalara said, no, I like to have the ball second. I went, all right, okay, that's the only answer uh, I'm looking for. Teams that score a touchdown on the opening drive win almost 80% of the time for exactly the reason you think. We need to get eight points. We need to score the touchdown and then have have Jackson Ford not come free off the edge and knock down Kolaris' pass on the two-point convert. Which would have been incomplete I, anyway. It's, it's, it was that, that throw was behind Wally or, or shown whoever he was going to. That was a bad throw. Yep. Wasn't good. It's it, there were there were a couple of guys coming free off that edge, and Ford happened to be the first one to get there. And you know, stuff stuff happens. But it's one of the ones that that puzzles me that teams are so insistent that going second is the way to go. Yet the history of the CFL says going first is the way to go. And then in comparable situations, soccer is the one I'll always go back to. It's a solved problem in soccer. If you win coin toss when you're going to penalties, you go first. You kick the ball because you're going to win. You go first, right? And because yes. you put the pressure on the other team, Absolutely. you're playing catch up the whole time. That's right. And I'm really, I no coach, and this isn't a critique of O'Shea because it's, as I mentioned, it's every coach in the CFL. It, I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why you choose to go second when the history of the CFL says the team that goes first wins an overwhelming amount of time. Uh, can we start an Etsy account? And maybe we can just sell this information because apparently there are a bunch of teams unaware of this or they're just convinced that they're going to, you know, just go against the flow and go against the grain because that's their that's their feeling. That's their gut instinct. Like this is a, a perfect, a perfect example of where this is just analysis, right? You're just you're just dissolving and diluting. I just counted. You just counted. And this is what it comes yeah, up just, to. I, and teams are are determined to try and break the trend because of their feeling that they well the extra down. I want, I want don't do it. Well, and 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 the one thing that that occurs to me is, uh, oh, Coach O'Shea says, will we get the extra down? My mind, I go, you can have the extra down going first. I get why you don't want it, why you would just want to kick a field goal, but you can always have the extra down. You can always go for it on third down. There's no, there's nothing in the rules that says you can't go for it on third down. The stakes, the stakes are high. If you go for it on third down and you fail, they're probably going to win the game. But if you go second and you go for it on third down and you fail, they already won the game. So what's 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 the real answer here? Well, we'll I'm certain we'll end up I'm certain we'll end up talking about it a little bit in the postgame show. I I wonder, you know, pardon me, in the coaches show. Uh, I've had this conversation with with O'Shea before, and he's he makes some good points. But there are certain margins which are just you're unable to overcome by being better or having a better offense or whatever. And the the significant just game based advantage of going first in overtime over two decades, like this is since 2004. It's two decades of results. You go second and you go first in overtime, and and you are you you're more likely to win. Sometimes it's, and it's, it puzzles me. It's, it's O'Shea. It's Bob Dice, Craig Dickinson, Dave Dickinson, Orlando <laughs> Steinauer, Rick Campbell, Kahari Jones. I'm just naming head coaches that chose to go second. Wally Buono, Mar Mark Tressman was the one who chose to go first. Maybe that's the ace in my, up my sleeve is that Mark Tressman was the coach who chose to go first. And the only time I can find him. Oh, he chose to go second in 2010. So maybe Tressman learned 
over seven years. But yeah, it's 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 one I alluded to. Well, flat out mentioning the broadcast, but then we forgot because so much other stuff happened. But go first in overtime. If always go for two and go first in overtime. Those are my edicts in the CFL that I I just want everybody to be to be uh, jumping on the bandwagon with. Well, if I was fighting dirty, based on all those statistics and those names that you threw out, and if I was having an argument with either one of them, I, w- I would have to be separated by glass before I threw this out. It's like, <laughs> which one of those guys went and coached in the NFL? Hmm? Which one? There's only one oh, on that list. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, and then we, yeah, you'd get back, well, which one's the the winningest coach for two different franchises? Wally Bono. Oh, okay. Isn't Dave Dickinson a good coach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, one of the things I'll be asked is, well, why don't you think coaches, why didn't this coach do it or why didn't do it? And part of me is like, I don't know if anybody ever went back and counted. I don't know. Like, they, they obviously That's my idea stuff, for the Etsy store. We got to sell these numbers. I'll set it up. I'll be your partner, 80-20. You get 80%, I get 20%. Whatever the percentage is of the touchdown scored, that's the percentage you get on the revenue. How's that for a deal? I love it. I love it. So we'll have the always, always, always go for two, go first in overtime, (laughs) and we'll have the little Rod Flanders uh, shirt that says uh, nine-yard field goals make baby Jesus cry. How about that? Those are the first three that we'll open with. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers Thank you for spending some time with us.